Those who know do not say. Those who say do not know. This is Yoakum Strength Podcast with me, your host, Austin Yoakum, and producer Marcus Sassen behind the scenes. This quote leads us to our guest today, Dr. Alex Lee. Dr. Alex Lee is a chiropractor that focuses on holistic health development with his clients and athletes. I found Alex through his Just Fly Sports article, Every Hand Has a Story, which is a really, really awesome article diving into a lot of things, hanging and climbing. And as you guys know, I talk about that a ton on this podcast, but it was really cool how he takes something as simple in quotations as hanging and he expands it out into the holistic development of a human, how you can find the psychological and spiritual development through just hanging. And it was just really cool to see how he kind of approached that. And as you'll see throughout the podcast, it's kind of what he does with his entire setup, his entire approach to life, his entire approach to performance. And his approach to training the human organism. He talks a lot on the podcast about nature doesn't make mistakes, something that's, that was really, really cool for me to hear again. And if a lot of this sounds familiar, sounds like the Dr. Tommy John route, it's because he has a very close connection to Dr. Tommy John, which was really cool to hear too. Um, and they're just very similar human beings with same energy, same approach to life and human development. And I think it's really, really powerful to kind of get that message out there. And I can't wait for you guys to get something out of this podcast. Before we hit the intro music, I want to take this brief period to talk about the Yoakum Strength Insider because many talk about how do we support the podcast? How can we experience some of the methods that you talk about on this podcast? And that's where the Yoakum Strength Insider comes into play. Yoakum Strength Insider is an app developed by me that has all of our online training programs and platforms. We, we produced an entire Building Better Movers series, which incorporates everything from our role, our play series, our climbing series our gymnastic series, along with some of the strength and athletic development, really trying to unlock the inner mover within you. If you guys use podcast 25 as a code, when you guys go to sign up, give you 25% off the first three weeks of your program. It'll help support the podcast and it'll get you guys in the best shape of your life. Thank you guys for listening. Let's go hit the intro music. Boom. This is the Yoakum Strength Podcast. Take the leap down the rabbit hole with us as we interview elite level guests to unravel what high performance really is. All right, well, uh, Alex, welcome to the podcast. I'm excited to have you on today. Thanks for having me. Take three. Let's do this. Take three. Let's do it. All right. So we had some technical difficulties and we'll probably dive into that a little bit. Uh, But do you want to tell the listeners a little bit about your background, where you're at today and kind of the mindset that your kind of journey has led you to? Sure. Uh, There's a lot in that question. So I'll start to kind of unpack it as we go. You know what? I'll just tell a story because that probably makes more sense to kind of get us to where I am right now. So currently sitting in my backyard, I'm in Hayward, California. And 32 years old, never, never thought I'd live in California where I'm at now. Uh, I grew up in Boston. I, well, just outside of Boston, a town called Newton. And I probably like every other kid, I, I wanted to be a major league baseball player. That was, that was the dream as a kid. Um, no one really told me the odds when I was little, but I mean, everything growing up was, was really centered around baseball. I had, I have really supportive parents that, you know, supported me then, I mean, the same way that they do now, but, um, everything was really, <laughs> I, I mean, literally every, every assignment I had as a kid in school, I did it about baseball. If they let me pick a topic, um, everything was, was centered around that. I mean, every sport that I played growing up, 
was just kind of killing time until baseball season rolled back around in the spring and the summer. And that was, that was really like such a huge focus in my life. And, um, yeah, when I got to junior year of high school, um, was at a point where I just put a ton of work in. And as far as like a athletic development standpoint, uh, I was at a point where I kind of maxed out my, my physical frame at, at five foot eight. That was, that was really like, that was my ceiling genetically. And I got to a point where I was getting some offers from some division one schools. I ended up taking an offer to go to Wofford college in South Carolina. Um, and that was right at the beginning of my senior year of high school. And up until that point, I had been, you know, weight training, kind of going through that whole progression, really anything to try to improve my performance in any sort of way. And, um, right after I committed, I think it was September of my senior year. Um, right after I signed my letter of intent in November, uh, I had a wrist surgery that was to repair a ligament that I torn on my wrist. And then two weeks after that, I got my wisdom teeth taken out and some, it, it wasn't really until this past like 11 months that I started kind of reflecting on everything in my life leading up to what got me to here that I really looked at, at those two surgeries and how I changed as a person after something just like switched in my head that I went from, I don't know, really having like a, a drive and a purpose to, I don't know, like, like something just happened where I, like my mental health changed. I just started to not really have like a, a drive and a focus that I had before. And honestly, it lasted for <laughs> like six or seven years, like my whole college athletics career, um, which, you know, had a lot of ups and downs. I had, you know, another surgery on the same wrist about 18 months after that first one. Um, I ended up breaking a foot end of my sophomore year after having a pretty good year. Uh, and then my senior year, I uh, had a stress fracture in my L5 vertebra. So ultimately where this story ends is right now I'm a chiropractor. Um, I think that a lot of the times what happens is we'll gravitate towards whatever it was that made the biggest impact in our lives, maybe even at a younger age. And then, you know, sometimes you outgrow that shell when you get a little bit older and you realize that, you know, you have, you have something else that you want to grow into. And, and right now, um, what I've done for the last, I'd say seven years since I got under chiropractic care and, you know, really started to make a lot of changes of the principles of how I live my life. Um, a lot of that has been centered around, um, the idea of, you know, the body's designed to heal, uh, and that we're, you know, these incredible, um, you know, self-organizing and, and self-regulating species that can perform and adapt and, and heal at really incredible levels. But, um, it needs to kind of come through that framework. And that was ultimately what I got, um, from a practitioner that you've had on this podcast before, um, Dr. Tommy John, when I started chiropractic care with him, he was actually a, an intern at, uh, chiropractic college. He was finishing up school. This was, I think 2013, uh, when we both lived in Atlanta and just the way that he talked about health and, and the human body and how it wasn't just a, uh, you know, a mechanistic reductionist approach of, okay, this is your, this is your back or, you know, this is your spine. It was, you know, um, everything about us from a, a physical, emotional, chemical standpoint that I really just something, something about everything that I started to learn and question him about it, it was, it's like these answers are already within our, our DNA and, and it's already in our blueprint that when you hear, when you hear these answers and when you, you ask these questions, your answer, your, your response to whatever the answer is, is always just like, well, yeah, of course. It's always just this, this like obvious thing that we already know and it's already within us. And, um, I, I say that right now, 
um, everything that I, I try to do is, is from that, like from that space, like being innately driven, you know, like, like it's always, it's always something that's already within me that is expressing outwards rather than, um, me trying to find new things or find like the next, you know, fad diet or, or the next, uh, you know, new way to train or the next, the next new gizmo. That's an external thing. Uh, I'm always, I'm always coming from the idea that, you know, we're, we're sovereign and we're, um, you know, these incredible, these incredible species as humans to be able to, you know, use our, our instinct and our reason to, to really live and express at, at a really, really high level. And I think that so much of what happens right now from a health standpoint, uh, whether it's Western medicine or, or even I'd say, you know, from some Eastern holistic standpoints is that, you know, our body's designed in some way that we need something external. And to me, that that's not, that's not where anything comes from, from a principled standpoint. It's always, you know, we have what we need within us. And then there's other things that we can do to help facilitate either functioning or, or performing at our highest level. And, and that's what I always keep in mind when I'm working with anybody, whether it's an athlete or, you know, a mom that's preparing to give birth or, you know, a four-year-old kid who's, um, you know, struggling with certain things or whether it's just people that are already functioning at a, at a high level and just want to stay tuned up. Um, and it's always coming from that adaptability framework and mindset. So, um, <laughs> I don't even know if that answered the question, but yeah, where I'm at right now is, um, I'm in private practice in San Ramon, California and, uh, yeah, working with uh, a lot of people over the past year that has just been a lot of really eye-opening stuff. Um, it's, it's been cool to, uh, transition out of a lot of like the, the sports performance, like athletic side of things into just looking at the, the whole person and trying to really figure out, all right, where's someone at right now? Where do they want to go? And then I, I know that some people might listen to this as a podcast, but I'm using my hands to talk where someone's at. I'm using like right part of the screen where someone wants to go. I'm using like all the way to the left. And then in the middle, there's always going to be something that's keeping that person from being there at that time. So identifying like any sort of roadblocks, obstacles, any sort of interference to what somebody is, you know, innately designed to perform at, at their peak. So uh, I'm always trying to kind of keep those things in mind. And, and that's, I don't know, like, I feel like there's no, there's no like hard stop to who I am versus like what I do throughout the day. Like, like I try to, I try to keep those things pretty intimately tied together. And, and I try not to, I try to identify if there's any sort of, um, you know, something standing in my, standing in my way from expressing that and like it's true, it's form. And, and that's, what's nice about being in a private practice is that I can, I can kind of say my own thing. I don't know if to, I don't know if to really answer to, to other people and, and other organizations. So, uh, that's kind of where I'm at. And that's a long answer that I guess we can kind of spiral into everything else from there. So yeah, I was going to say that that's a perfect, perfect answer to be able to draw, draw some things out into. And the first thing that I want to talk about is you talked about how you took a step out of the sports performance realm to look at the whole person. And what I'm trying to do is bring people like yourself on to bring up the importance of being in the sports performance world to look at the whole person. Because I feel like many times, like you mentioned, it's, we, 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 we lose sight of that. And I mean, it's really bad in strength conditioning sector where literally we we're down to the point of arguing about sets and reps, um, yeah, arguing about right. uh, back squat or front squat, you know, like we're arguing about things that it's like, man, we are really, really missing the bigger picture of sure. what it means to be a human person and how, if we improve the human organism and we approach the human organism as something that has evolved for millions of years to be this pristine machine, that we're probably not going to outsmart it with our sets and reps. And we just need to look at it in a more kind of holistic sense as 
as easy of a word as holistic is to say, but to be able to stop being so far in the weeds and really see what's actually happening. Yeah. Um, so two things jumped out right when you said that one is, I don't think that nature makes any mistakes. Um, nature always, always wins no matter what hundred percent of the time. And I think a lot of what, you know, has kind of happened with, we can just use sports performance as an example. Uh, a lot of it's gotten so far away from, from just like from basics. So I'll, okay. This is kind of the meat and potatoes of it all. I'm going to make another, I'm going to talk with my hands again. And I know that some people might just be listening to this, but we talk about the long-term athletic development pyramid. So this is what I talk about a lot. So I'll make a pyramid shape right here. It's the, uh, the Jay-Z Hobe sign right here, right? We got, the, we got the pyramid with the hands. So the bottom part of the pyramid is your foundation. So you think of your foundation as like, really, it should be everything that we're doing from ages zero to eight, zero to 13. It's like our ability to balance on one leg, our ability to walk, um, our ability to breathe through our nose and into our stomach, our ability to hang, our ability to, um, you know, climb, to cross crawl, to push, to pull, like all these all these very basic things that we're supposed to have mastered. So same way you can think about it is, you know, in kindergarten, we learn the ABCs. We, we still use the ABCs every single day as adults. It's just complex combinations of, you know, eventually the ABCs form words and then words form sentences, sentences form paragraphs, paragraphs form chapters, chapters form books. And then that's just like the tippy top of the pyramid right here. So a lot of the time what happens, especially in sports performance, and this is what I saw, I left this part out of my, my intro, but for, for three years, I ran baseball and softball training academies. So I saw like the sports performance side firsthand. And a lot of it, if we're going for the shape again, we get this foundation at the bottom is supposed to be huge. So when you get an athlete that you're supposed to work with, especially in college, you're, you're expecting that, you know, if they're a division one athlete, this foundation at the bottom is just massive. Like they've already mastered all these things and, and they can do everything. And then you get the level above that is function. So let's just say foundation is at the bottom. You think of foundation as, you know, your ability to balance on one leg, uh, or bend down, right? Those are just basic things. You watch, you know, a two-year-old and they have all that mastered. Like they don't need to, you don't need to teach a two-year-old how to do anything as far as movement. You can just watch them and observe them and they can squat down perfectly. They can get up perfectly. They're doing their belly breathing. They're doing everything perfect. And all you can really do is lose that ability. So you have this foundation and it's huge. So say it's being able to balance on one leg and squat down. Okay, cool. We turn that into function. We go a little bit higher and that's when you get like, you know, the functional performance or the functional training, you know, marketing word. you get that. And it's, you know, the ability to, to land on one leg and to, you know, absorb three to four times your body weight in that 10th of a second when you land, right. That that's, that's function. So that's a step up from just being able to balance on one leg and, and, uh, and squat down. And then you go up to the top part of the pyramid. So you get foundation at the bottom, function in the middle, skill and sport or performance at the very top. So you can put that to, all right, for football, you being able to carry, you know, football in your hands and be able to land, cut, change direction in a 10th of a second and avoid getting tackled by a 275 pound linebacker, right? Like that's, that's the top part right there. And all of that can really, really shine and, you know, be at its, you know, peak potential, whatever you want to call it. When the bottom part, the foundation is like really, really filled out. And a lot of the time what you have to do, you know, some people get thrown in a really tough situation coaching college sports because, you know, you come in and you're expecting that these kids 
I, sorry, I call them kids. I don't know. I, that, that's me catching myself feeling old for the first time right there. You know, watching these kids in college, I'm, I'm 32. So I'm not, you know, I'm not that far removed and it still feels like yesterday, but you assume that everybody coming in, you know, as an 18 year old kid has this like perfectly filled out foundation when really, you know, probably everything from their athletic mindset has kind of been, all right, well, I'm going to go to the field and, you know, or I'm going to go to the weight room and I have my one to three hours there. And then I have, you know, the other 21 to 23 hours of the day where I'm not an athlete and like I'm off the clock and you don't get those things that pour into the foundation. You, know, you, you don't get, you know, uh, what I'd say makes up the, the bigger part of the equation, which is, you know, sleep and rest nourishment, um, connection to the outdoors connection with others, you know, having a, a life purpose that's, that's bigger, that really adds to that bottom part of the foundation beyond just the physical part of movement. Um, so, so that's kind of where, where I see things right now. And then, you know, to, to kind of bring it back full circle, you get, you know, you, when you come from, from that mindset, when you have an argument about sets and reps, it just feels silly. It's like, well, what are we even talking about right now? Right. Um, so hopefully that, that kind of answered that a little bit, but, but that's, that's where I go with it. Um, and those arguments are kind of universal through, you know, chiropractic profession through, you know, I'm sure physical therapy and, and other sorts of, you know, body work. I, there's always these arguments about things that you're like, well, why does that even matter? You know, if you come from a, a, if you come from principles and then you work down, if you start from something general, then you get down to specific, it, you realize that a lot of the times people are just starting these arguments from something very specific and they're just kind of throwing darts, at, darts at the wall and, and hoping something sticks. So, um, that's, that's how I filter everything down to ultimately where, where my beliefs and my philosophy of, of training and movement come from. Yeah. And that's where you talk about, like we are, I, I mean, what you mentioned on this podcast, probably hundreds of times, you, you have that athlete come in that can bench press 400 pounds and they can't hang. And I know hangs a big thing like that. That's yeah. where I found you for the first time. Actually that uh, oh, your cool. hand tells a story article, but nice. The, um, just like their inability to hang for 10 seconds. And you're like, Oh my God, like right. we're, we're, you were talking about all these things. We're doing all these things. And then a natural movement that, Literally, like you showed a baby doing it in your video, just like dead hanging. Yeah. You showed a baby doing it. And this athlete that is so much output and force and all these things is missing what a baby can do. Yeah. And, you know, especially in the last, I'd say five years, I think I kind of missed it all. But all the sports have kind of gone to this, like everything is tracked and measured, like analyzed so much. Like, so, so as an example, playing baseball, um, there's a game on probably two years ago where they're showing, you know, exit velocity, launch angle, all this stuff with like a guy's swing. And I'm like, what, what are they talking about right now? Like, it, it's just these metrics that I, I don't, I don't get. And that's like the tippy tippy top of the, of the pyramid. If we're using this, this shape again. Right. And it's just something that, you know, you, you see, a if you're a kid watching a game, you're going to look at that and think that that's what playing baseball is like your exit velocity. Right? And you can't do something simple. Like, you know, as a pitcher, be able to throw a ball to a spot, you can throw a ball 96 miles an hour, but you can't, you can't put it anywhere. So you're not technically pitching. You're just throwing a ball really, really hard, which is completely different than, you know, actually performing a skill. And then you get a lot of people that are, you know, in baseball, we call them like showcase guys. Like they're great at showcases. They can run the fastest or they can throw the ball the hardest. And they have all these like, they have all these tools and all these skills that are incredible, but they don't have that foundation at the bottom. So going back to hanging, we have, and you read the, the hanging article. That, that's cool that you found me through there. Um, Joel has a really great website. What's up, Joel? I'm sure he might listen. Um, 
but Joel, uh, Joel Smith from just fly sports who was actually in Berkeley, California. So, I mean, we've hung out and trained a bunch of times. Um, he's 30 minutes away. And then I think he moved in June or July of last yep, year. He's in Ohio now. Yeah. He's in, he's in Ohio. So happy for him to having having his place set up, but yeah. So I wrote an article, I think he titled it. You, Every hand tells a story. Is that what it was? That's a, su- I think that's your like subtitle in there. That, that's okay. one that I liked. So I kind of going back to the whole foundation thing, we have it in us. It, it's already there. All we can kind of do is lose it. So, um, from birth, we have something called the Palmer grasp reflex. So do you have any kids? I do not. I'm 24 young 24. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, so you don't have kids. So, <laughs> and I don't have kids either, but I'm at an age now where a lot of my friends are starting to have kids and, you know, just spending time around, you know, like a two week old and then up to two year olds and, and you just observe. And one of the things that's wired in, if you put your finger in a baby's hand, they're going to like grab onto it. And there's some kids that you're like, you like can't get your finger back and it's insane. So there was a study, I think it was like a Soviet study, but they, they took kids like a hundred kids in a hospital ward. I'm going to get the numbers wrong. Someone can fact check me, I'm sure. But they took like a hundred kids right after birth, like an hour after they were born. And they, they gave them a stick to hold on to. This is actually a yard rake, but they gave them a stick. And I think every kid except for one could hold on for at least 10 seconds, like within an hour of being born. And what that basically showed that that's called a primitive reflex. It's the Palmer grasp reflex, but these are things that are wired into our DNA for us at some point in our lives. It was like a survival instinct for us to have. So another one is like you stroke a baby's cheek, it's going to turn its head towards it. If it's hungry, thinking that, you know, it's able to breastfeed and, and get food that way. So these are all things that are, you know, wired into us in some way. So the, the Palmer grasp is another one. And for me, it's like, well, if we were designed to hang, if, if our bodies, if, if it's somewhere in our DNA, why, why can't people do it? Everybody should be able to, and what I always say is if you're in doubt, walking speed and grip strength are the two things you need to train. If you can walk and if you can grab things like you're going to live to be independent and really, if we're talking like long-term, that's really one of our only things that we have to do. We have to be able to physically take care of ourselves and be able to walk around a house, be able to climb upstairs and be able to grab things so that we can cook so that we can eat. So we can do all these things. So walking speed and grip strength are like my two biggest things that I'll measure on everybody, young, old, um, middle-aged, our age. So, yeah. And I love the, my favorite thing about the article wasn't, it was your ability to draw something that seems so simple, like hanging uh, something that we talked about into every aspect. So I think that shows like who you are. You talk about like putting yourself, who you are out there and not just keeping it. All right. Here's the reason we, we hang and you, you listed all the reasons to get the science nuts or the people that are looking to prove like physically why we shouldn't hang, whatever, anybody that had that argument against you, but then you brought that, it that, into that, that part always feels forced like the, Hey, you know, I, I'm cause I'm, I'm sure through, through your background and through, you know, your following rather, you are going to get some of the, you know, anatomy and the biomechanics and the, the kinesiology majors. And to me, that's like, all right, I I'll, I'll dabble in that world, but only to, only to kind of like, you know, posture up like an animal that, you know, you're like in its territory. And then I'll just kind of go back to like, all right, this is what I really think about it. So. Well, that's actually Sorry. funny that you yeah. mentioned that. Cause uh, the two are uh, three articles, but two of them that I wrote for Joel, both of them, he said that basically like I had to force a little bit more of the physical and more of the practical to kind of please that too. Cause I was, I was in the same realm of like, we're going to stay holistic, but anyways, I'll, I'll bring it back to this point talking about how you're able to draw into the psychological and kind of spiritual realm. And this is something where I think we miss it 
a ton in the strength conditioning realm in the, I mean, in the, in life, we, we don't want to talk about these things. We, we want to be, we, we wipe it off as woo woo. Um, we wipe it off as like, whatever. And you talk about, you bring an athlete in here and I, Dr. Uh, Tommy John brings it up too, is you see it instantly of what's their stress level like on that day. You, you want to talk about, you have this perfect program in up. They, they broke up with their girlfriend. You can find out in 10 seconds, like what they're at today is they're normally hanging for two minutes and they're dropping 30 seconds in and they're super pissed off, you know, yeah. uh, and your ability to look at those things and drop back to those things, I think was super powerful for me reading that article and I related super well to it. Thanks man. Um, yeah, I think, you know, just, just following a, a training program that's on paper just because it's written down, it, it just, it doesn't work for everybody, right? Like if we're talking about that foundation at the bottom and that foundation's like your potential that, that changes even throughout the course of the day. Like you can wake up first thing in the morning, you're groggy, your foundation is maybe half of what it could be at 2 PM when you peak, right? Um, you could have, you know, a really stressed out day. Your, you know, your goldfish could die. Your, your girlfriend could leave you, whatever it is. Right. And all of a sudden you have something that you're able to do, you know, normally that is a huge challenge because you're just, you're not there mentally. And there's, you know, also the psychological factor, the, the emotional factor that, is able to allow you to, to show up and actually integrate the physical physio physiological part of training, um, into your life. So yeah, there's that part there. And then I don't know, I, I always think of it as, so this is kind of bringing the whole connection to how I met Dr. TJ, um, back when he was just Tommy John, uh, before he got the doctor title. <laughs> um, so my best friend from college was, a uh, he's a white running back he's a running back, but uh, white division one running back, ran a four, four in the 40. So Tommy was his trainer in high school. So that's kind of how we got connected. And I just by chance moved to move to Atlanta where Tommy was after college. So we got connected there. And what uh, my friend, Sean, the, my, uh, the running back, what he was telling me was all this like training stuff that he used to do in high school. I was like, Oh, that, that's, that's really cool. Like, you know, a lot of the ISOs, a lot of the holds. And then, beyond just like the physical part, like the intellectual, psychological, emotional, spiritual aspect, all coming together, you know, through, through that stimulus. And he, so his freshman year, I think he was, I think he was like all conference or something. He played, he had a really, really good freshman year. And that was kind of like just coming off of Tommy's training. And then through being in, you know, a division one program and, you know, like the, basically like the powerlifting program that they had on that, that they had on the athletes, um, by his sophomore year, I think he, he started getting injured. Like it was like every month he'd be on crutches again. And I was like, dude, what, what's going on? But he, um, he said to bring it back to the emotional part, it was opening kickoff sophomore year. So his whole family's there, everybody's there. And he's at a point where he's just kind of like over it in his head, like over the whole college football scene over it. And he's looking around and he's just like looking up in the stadium and you know, it's like 5,000 or 10,000 people. And he just doesn't feel anything. He's just kind of not in like a, you know, you rise above the moment kind of way and you're not nervous just in like a, he just didn't feel like it mattered at all. And I remember him telling me that and then opening kickoff comes to him, runs it back 20 yards. Someone tackles him low, tears his ACL. So point of that whole thing, he was, his foundation was probably a lot smaller at that moment, just based off of his emotional state. Like he was checked out. He didn't care. And then bam, tears ACL. Right. It's, it just goes to show that, um, if you're only measuring the physical part and 
bring it back to the metrics. You can, you can measure how much you bench press for how many reps you can measure all these things, but you, you can't measure, you know, the human spirit. I, I don't even know how to say that in a more simple way, but there's, there's definitely the non-physical part that is completely missed. And I, I guess some people get it with, you know, like heart rate variability and tracking these certain things, but, um, it's such a dynamic thing that, you know, our, our rational brains will never be able to actually wrap our heads around it and, it, and it'll never be measured. And, um, I think that's where a lot of, uh, I, I think that's where a lot of things miss, you know, not tying in that part. And when you're working with clients to hopefully get them into this mindset, get them into, yeah. all right, let's stop talking about and not stop talking about it, but let's not make it our entire focus on this physical. I want to see abs or I want to feel something like that. How do you like, what are your tools to get them to start to see it in this light to start to almost give them themselves tools to check in with themselves and do these things. How are you going about that with your clients? Yeah. So everyone learns, obviously everybody learns differently, but I'd say the majority will start with, um, you know, some sort of, I'll have an idea of where their, their health history is leading up to that. Any sort of like injuries, what their function and performance is like, and then kind of have an idea of where they want to go as far as goals. And then, also try to identify some sort of thing that's holding them back. And, you know, with that, like I was saying, some people learn in different ways. Some people learn really well through audio. So, you know, having a conversation, but I'd say the majority of people are, are kinesthetic and they have to actually feel something. So it becomes a process. It's not just like a, here's a training program. Let's see how you do. It's, you know, the process starts to unwind certain things. So, you know, you get a lot of people that are excited for the first week and then it starts to get difficult. And then they start asking questions that are more intellectually based beyond just like technique. They're like, Hey, when I'm training, I'm starting to feel certain things. Like my brain starts going to a certain place, almost like in a meditative state. And it's like, cool, go with that. Or they're like, when I get angry, I feel like I lose control of my breath and it's over. Or when I'm holding a lunge, I know like I'll notice they're holding a lot of tension in their face or in their hands. Right. And it's just like, okay, you have to, you have to, shake that out. You have to relax your face because everything that you're doing from a physical standpoint has to carry over to what you're doing. If your goal is performance, right? Like you have to, you have to train relaxed from a, you have to let the other tension go in your body and, and really start to master that up here between the ears before you can take that and carry it over to, you know, a football field or, you know, to a jiu-jitsu mat or to whatever it is that you're doing in, in another area. So as far as answering your question, which, now that I've been talking for a minute, I believe your question was, how do I see that? And like, how do I, yeah. Um, a lot of it is, you know, just kind of the back and forth of, you know, like longer term relationship building rather than just, you know, seeing, okay, one session and then saying, no, this is, that's what you have to do. And like putting something in someone's head that that's where they have to go with it, you know, giving them the freedom to explore something and to continually make small improvements and, ultimately they're the person that's going to be on the field or living in their own body that if it's, if it's this deductive or sorry, this inductive process, this outside in here, this is what you have to do. They never truly take ownership of it. So it's a lot of, you know, <laughs> you ask someone a question and they ask you a question back. It's like, Oh man, that wasn't what I want. So it, it's, it's creating thought and creating, um, you know, kind of leading the horse to water so that they drink or, teaching them how to fish so that they can feed themselves forever rather than, you know, catching them a fish and being like, here you go. So it's a lot of, you know, it's more long winded, but I feel like that's, that's kind of what you need. Like that was, um, you know, you don't want 
you don't want students or you don't want people that are just only taking that they need to be involved in the process because, you know, ultimately you don't go to school to learn. You don't, you don't get taught things at school. You have to, you have to apply and you have to make that your own through your own study. And then you, you take it and, you know, it becomes your own thing. So that answer the question. Yeah. And I, yeah. I, there's a couple of points that we can draw from there is we, we have a lot yeah, of coaches, yeah. coaches that listen to this podcast, you, and you mentioned a couple of things there. You mentioned like tension when they're doing exercises, yeah. you mentioned breath when they're doing exercises. Are there a couple of things that you think coaches could do with their athletes? Maybe obviously hanging is one of them. Yeah, um, sure. And you can dive into that too, of like different types of hangs, but tools that they can implement with their athletes to start to see some of these things and what should they be looking for to kind of create these conversations? First of all, I'll preface this by saying, I don't, I don't like the idea of competing with exercise. Like, Oh, I, I benched more than you, right. It, it's just whatever. Like I, I don't care. But with, with hanging, I had a long hang probably last April. I think Tommy posted a couple of videos of a couple of kids, kids. I said kids again, a couple of college guys breaking like four minutes in a day. And he was just like, I've, he's like, Whoa, another, another guy in the four minute club. And I'd never just let myself go for that long. So I went home that day from work and I just set a timer and I went and I, I broke five minutes. It was like five twenty something. And I sent that to Tommy and he was like, dude, what? He's like, that was, that was pretty. So for me, that, that was like the, uh, now, like I saw someone do that well and I'm just going to break it. So I, I did that in my head, but then, um, I kept playing with like longer hangs, probably like end of last fall. And I had a buddy who I trained with and he, um, you know, I was telling him like, you know, I'm stuck at like, you know, like the last few times I did it, I dropped it like eight minutes. And I was like, I, I looked on YouTube and the world record is this guy did like just under 20 and not that I want to set the world record or anything, but I'm just like, well, you know, kind of like the four minute mile thing. Nobody could break the four minute mile. And then one person broke it. And then that year, like eight more people did it. It, it was kind of like in my head, I'm like, well, if I broke four minutes that time because I saw other people do it, then that means if they saw me break five minutes that they can break five because I'm not some freak of nature. That's the only person in the world that can do it. Like you always have another minute in you. Right. So I, I was hanging and I was getting, I think like four days in a row, I got stuck at like seven or eight minutes. So I'm talk, talking to my buddy about it and he's like, okay, I give you permission to break 10 minutes. And he just said that point, like he just looked at me and he's like, I give you permission to do it. And and when he said it, it was just kind of like, damn it. I was like, all right, I'll, I'll just go do it. And I went and I, it was like, I didn't even set a timer. And I was just, my hands legit went numb. Like I couldn't, I couldn't even open my hands up for like five minutes when I was done, but it was, it was over 15. So it's it, it just in my head. All I needed was somebody to say, Hey, just go do it. Like you got it. So as far as like, you know, I think of the picture, it was a meme on the internet, like the horse with a, like a rope tied to its neck and the other side of the rope is tied to like a chair, like a, like a plastic lawn chair. Obviously the, the horse isn't tethered to anything. Like he just thinks that he's tethered and he can't move because of that. I think a lot of the times we have concepts in our own head that subconsciously keep us from achieving our highest potential or incredible performance because there's something, there's some loop going on in our head for me that was like, well, you don't know anybody that's ever been able to hang on a bar for that long. So you're not going to be able to do it. And then somebody gave me permission to do it. And I did it. I'm sure that, you know, someone will listen to this and then, you know, they'll start hanging for three minutes every day or five minutes every day and they'll be able to do it. And then they'll let themselves go. And if you're listening, I give you permission to hang for more than 15 minutes. Like I, it's, it's just something that I don't know. A lot of the time 
you maybe get stuck in a, you think that things are written in pen, like a program that somebody gives you, like it's just, it's etched in stone and it's there and you have to do it. And you kind of don't have that creativity anymore. And I think that ultimately to bring it back to what we were saying before, like you're, if you're an athlete, you're, you're the only person that is within your own body. So it has to be, you have to own it and it has to just become second nature within yourself to be able to go out and and do these things. So for everything to be so like hyper programs, I, that's just something that, you know, I don't, I I just don't agree with and I don't really jive with. And I even say that with people that I I give programs to, it's like, well, go ahead and do it. But then like, also just keep in mind, you can just train. So you're not interested anymore. Like once you kind of hit that point where you're done for the day, like maybe that day you're only you know, you only got like 30 minutes in you, or maybe that day you have something on paper and then you just decide to go for a a three hour hike to challenge it instead. I don't know. (laughs) For that reason, I feel like, you know, like the, the coaches that just do like these programs online can get kind of, you know, that there needs to be the human part of it, right? Like we're not just robots that you give them something and they, and they do it. There has to be the, the, the deeply intimate, self-management part of it that, that has to, that has to happen when somebody takes ownership for their own, their own life and their own, their own movement and their own body. Well, I think that's something I, I it's really funny because I just started recently last two months ago or a month ago, started programming. My sets and reps have been, uh, until you're bored. I, I, that's, yeah. that's what yeah. I put on the sheet and it, it's super, super, super funny to see their reaction right away. Yeah. It's like, they, they don't know what to do with that because, and you start to break that down a little bit deeper and you're like, Oh my God, it's cause it's the first time they've ever been told like, other than when they were playing as kids, now they get a choice. They get a, they get right. a choice. Like, Ooh, I can do this. And it'll be like a variation of the exercise. He was like, you, we, this is the stimulus we want, but you guys choose how you get there and why you want to get there and what you want to do to get there. And once the guys start to guys and girls start to get the that ownership and the connection to the exercise. It's like, Oh, this is, I can do this. And then it's, you open up the conversation to start to do that in the rest of their life. And now, and you're not talking about exercise anymore. Maybe you're talking a little bit about diet and maybe you're talking a little bit about, all right, well, maybe our learning aspects need to be a little bit about this. Like school's super set. Everything's in stone for you. If you want to learn something, maybe you do some other aspect until you're bored, but trying to open up. And that's what I've tried to do is try to, give them the physical sense of the college athletics to open up a world to where they have control, even if it's just in this tiny little part to understand that they need to be able to do that for their entire life rather than just kind of going through it. Yeah. And, you know, I think that a lot of people get, I don't know, maybe even paint themselves into like the movement guru kind of category. And to me, I just look at, I look at movement as just one one aspect of stimulus that, um, kind of makes up the bigger picture. So, I mean, obviously like movement is life. We all know that, like, um, but then there's also the, you know, the other areas that I consider to be the essential parts of health, you know, nourishment, your sleep and your rest, um, your mind and what's kind of your mental concepts, like what's going on in your head. Those, some of those self-limiting beliefs, like we, like we talked about already, um, your connection to the outdoors, your connection with others, um, your belief in something greater than self and then your life purpose. And for me, like where the journey kind of went for me is I was, I tapped into the emotional and the spiritual side of things. Once the movement stimulus was 
like big enough. Like once it kind of filled up its container, it was like, okay, now that I have all this momentum with my movement habits, I should probably start eating a little bit better. Like my sleep already started to take care of itself because it was like, well, to recover, I have to sleep. And then beyond that, it was like, well, I should probably get outside and train and start training outdoors rather than training indoors. Um, and then naturally just some of the questions started coming up that it's like, well, I have this, this new philosophy of health that I've been introduced to. And then I'm starting to integrate into my own, my own being. You start to think about bigger picture type questions like, okay, why are we here? Like what, what if, if there's consciousness and the consciousness and intelligence in the smallest possible thing, and that makes up, that makes up bigger things ultimately there's, there's this infinite consciousness within us. And you start asking questions like that. And even just having the the thought brought to your awareness and you start pondering metaphysical things, you just become, you just level up. And all of a sudden something like, you know, playing in a, a baseball game becomes this, you get this perspective that it's just, it's not as it's not life or death. Right. Um, and then ultimately I started getting to, you know, bigger questions like man search for meaning by Viktor Frankl, like life purpose type stuff. Like, okay, well, like, why, why am I here? Like beyond just why is everybody here? Like, what am I doing here? And, and what, what is my calling? And ultimately it's to, you know, be able to have these conversations that get out to more people and that more people can start to integrate things like this into their own life and ask a question, not just, Hey, how am I going to get better at football this year? But well, first of all, why do I want to get better at football this year? And then, you know, who am I when I'm not playing football? Who am I, you know, as a son, who am I as a, as a daughter, who am I as a, a friend, who am I as a spouse, who am I as a father, who am I as a, you know, a cousin, right? Who, who am I with everybody that I'm around? And, you know, when I really broke down why I loved baseball so much as a kid and why I loved sports, it wasn't, you know, yes, yeah, sure. Like hitting a, hitting a ball perfectly or, you know, making a great play in the field is, is cool, but it all really came down to just like two things, like my love for just throwing a ball, like that motion there. And then also just being around my friends, like being around my friends. And then, you know, my dad was a coach. He coached like Babe Ruth baseball and, um, you know, ran a lot of programs in the, in the city that I grew up in. And it was just the combination of all of that, like the, the community of, you know, teammates and, you know, getting together to play another team. Like it's just a very tribal tribal thing, regardless of what sport it is, you're just, you're competing and there's a set of rules and you go do it. And then also just the connection that I got to have with, with my father and and still have, you know, we still talk about baseball all the time. Um, actually that's a lie. We don't talk about it too much anymore, but, um, yeah, just, just like that, that connection that, you know, I had with everybody. And that's, that's ultimately when you get, you get so (laughs) it's like arguing about sets and reps, right? Like you go back to it and you're just like, Oh, it's silly talking about all that. It's like, go out and have fun. Just go out and play the game, you know, do your best, stay within the rules and obviously give everything you possibly can to it, but also keep that in the, the proper framework. Like there's, there's life beyond this. And yeah, we'll, we'll get to my next point in a second. Cause it looked like you had something to say there. Yeah, that was, uh, I mean, it's just, I loved how you drew it back to, cause that's one of the biggest buy-ins I've got with the athletes is you draw it back to how it can actually help in their sport as well. I, yeah. Like our goal, like we're seeing it in a realm of holistically helping them in life. And I draw myself back to, and cause this was, I drew myself back to being in that athlete shoes. It's like, at that point, I wasn't looking at anything deeper. I was just looking at right. the sport, looking at what's the next sure. step. What can I do? 
And once you get them to click of this is also going to help you in the sport itself, because now you're able to, you make a bad play and you start to put it in perspective. One of the books I've been buying for a lot of, um, a lot of my athletes is awareness by Anthony DeMello and, um, showing them and just having them read that. And they're like, Oh my God, that it's like, uh, I, the reason that bad play stayed with me is because of the expectation I put on myself because my mom was watching that play and I, she was going to judge me in the other ass. And, you know, you start yeah. to put it and now they're like, all right, this is going to actually going to help me in my sport. But now it's also holistically helping them in their life. That's why I really love that you drew that back to their sport. Yeah, man. Another book that I feel like gives a lot of perspective is Inner Game of Tennis. You ever read that one? Yep. Um, I read that probably April last year. And for some reason, you always you know, you always pick up these books and you read them in like a day and a half. And you're like, man, if I'd had this when I was 16, like how much different my life would have been, like, not just how much better I would have played a, a game, how much better I would have been at everything because you start to have perspective. So I think like a lot of people last year, uh, I, I got into golf. I'd never really played golf before other than hitting balls at the range, but I took pretty much everything that I learned from inner game of tennis, which is, um, you know, it breaks, it breaks the mind up or it breaks the game up into the inner game and the outer game. So outer game would be like, I'm playing you in tennis. Inner game would be like me playing against myself in my own head. And then it breaks up, it breaks up the mind into two parts. It breaks it up into self one and self two. So self one is like the teller, the person that's like pretty much putting expectations on ourselves. It's kind of like the conscious mind. And then self two is the the doer, like the subconscious mind. It, it has a visualization in the head and then it, it just does it. So for me, I've taken, and they say that the equation for performance is performance equals potential minus interference. So essentially that's your self too knows what to do. Like I've swung a baseball bat plenty of times. Self too knows how to do that. All I have to do is put a picture in my head of me hitting a ball and then I can go do it. But then where the interference comes in is self one will start to say, well, Hey, there's, there's someone up in the stands watching you that is judging you right now, or, you know, this is a bigger situation than my last at bat. So this becomes a very, very important thing. And all of a sudden that's self one interfering with self two. So I've taken that to golf and I haven't made the PGA tour yet, but who knows um, when I go hit a ball, if there's any chatter going on in my head at all, I'm, like I can, I can get rid of all of that right now. It's, it's just my ability to stand in front of the ball. I'm like, okay, I've hit a ball straight before in my life. All I have to do is bring the club back, bring it through. And all I'm, all I'm doing when I swing a golf club now, and I'm not saying that I'm, I'm excellent, but there's, there's no moment of any shot being more important than any other shot. It's just, it's me hitting a ball as if I'm hitting a ball on the range. I just happen to be, you know, on the course hitting a ball and me mentally in my head has gone to a point where everything, there's no pressure. It, I, I feel like, you know, 99% of the time when I'm playing golf, self two is there. Whereas when I was playing baseball, you know, even in college, I, you know, I'd let, I'd let situations get to me. I, I, you know, I'd, have you seen, uh, the replacements? I have not. Oh God. Yeah. You're 24. I guess you haven't. Um, it was a early two thousands football movie. You did. You got to see it, man. It's, it's uh Keanu Reeves, Gene Hackman. It, it's a classic man. Uh, but Shane Falco, he's the quarterback footsteps Falco. He has a moment where everyone's in the locker room and they're talking about fears. So they have to talk about what their fees are, their fears are. And there's a funny moment where one of the guys is like spiders uh, and they're, they're talking about like insects and all this. And then, and then, so Keanu Reeves raises his hand after and he's the quarterback. He's like the captain of the team. He talks about quicksand. So they're like, well, what's quicksand? So he explains it. And he's like, 
it's when one thing goes wrong and then another and then another and then another, and then you can't breathe. And it's like quicksand. And to me, like that was, you know, it's a comedy. So there's like one moment that's actually like kind of serious. And, you know, they play like the dramatic score music behind that, like makes you know that it's a dramatic moment. But, um, to me, I feel like as an athlete, I didn't have these tools to, um, equip myself so that when that quicksand did show up, that was all like self-created in my own head. I didn't know how to just like put the brakes on and stop. Like I'd be the kind of guy I'd have a good game or I'd have like a terrible, like (laughs) where you'd be like, dude, how's that guy even on the field? Like, how do you, how'd this guy make the team? Um, and it was something that kind of stuck with me for a bit. Like it, it became a concept in my head of like, you know, I'm either going to play great or I'm going to play like crap and things are going to go wrong. So for me, um, inner game of tennis was one of those, if I could go back and, and give that book to myself at, you know, 16 or really any age that I could have grasped that. Um, it, it's just one of those things where I feel like it'd be huge for a kicker in college, right? Like a kicker has to, you know, <laughs> there's maybe five moments that you get in a game where literally all you have to do is kick the ball between a set of goalposts, which is easy when no one's there watching, but you know, when there's 50,000 people there and you know, it's to, you know, end the game, uh, it becomes this, this huge, it, it's beyond a physical thing. Uh, it, it, it's very much mental. It's you being able to kick a ball. Um, something that should be simple, just done in front of a lot of people. Uh, so yeah, inner game that, what, what was the book that you mentioned? awareness awareness okay cool i'm gonna i'm gonna check that out actually i don't know to kind of go back to what i was saying earlier maybe i don't need to read it because it might just be me clouding my own subconscious with other people's ideas and not allowing mine to to kind of show so i'll 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 write it down and i'll put it on the list so we'll see i like it maybe Um, i'll listen to a youtube summary of it yeah (laughs) well that's uh you mentioned i'll I'll go briefly on that tangent a little bit if you talk about um like the best books that I've ever read, something like awareness is something that I got with zero expectation and zero. I just like, it popped up on like a random Amazon, like recommendation thing and read it. And it was like, Oh my God, this is like amazing. How does everybody not know this? And there's other books where it's like, you're recommended a hundred times and you read it. And it's just like, it seems like you are expecting almost so much. And it's so many other people's opinions of that book. It's almost like that's all you're reading is like their right. thoughts throughout the book rather than just something that's completely blank and a blank slate of sure. words coming to you. Yeah. And that's kind of like the, you know, you're having a conversation with, it's happened a lot this past year, but you're having conversations with people that um, you realize you're not talking to that person. You're talking, they're saying things that they heard and just repeating them. It's like, you know, when you talk to a little kid and they're using a word that they just heard for the first time and they don't know how to properly use that word. And you're just like, Oh, I'm, I'm like you saying, reading a book, like you're reading someone's expectations of the book or you're reading what, what they believe is the interpretation of the book, which I guess can be useful, but also you just kind of have to, you know, ultimately you have to make it your own, um, when you're reading it. And I, I do enjoy going back and reading, you know, books that I've read maybe five years ago, even like fiction novels, um, you reread it and you're a different person when you read a book a second time and maybe something that you totally brushed over and didn't realize before you read again. And you're like, Oh my God, how did I miss that? And it just becomes this really, I don't know, profound moment where, you know, I I guess we're never the same person, right? We'll be, I'll be completely different in an hour than I am right now, but you, uh, you know, you're not reading someone's expectations. <clears throat> expectations of it. I don't know what just happened right there. I couldn't say a word. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and 
I, I want I want to kind of sum up before I take up. I feel like you and I could talk for a long time. Yeah, but we could. Before we, we get to, to the rapid fire rounds of the podcast, I want to know we, yeah. we've talked a lot about the holistic sense. And this is something that I've been diving into. And I feel like you're going to have some good answers about this or just good suggestions. But what are some other things that you think maybe athletes, coaches, and just humans in general may be missing out on? I'm thinking in the sense of maybe it's um, what well, we talk about nutrition. We haven't really dove into like what your thoughts on that are like our approach sure. there, maybe some, some light therapy type stuff, some uh, and not therapy in a sense, but just light, like your exposure yeah, no, to light um, yeah. and supplements slash being outdoors. Like what are your thoughts and approach to those things that I feel like is a big piece of the pie that I don't think are even talked about enough or really approached in a realistic sense. Sure. So there's a lot to that. Um, I'll touch on the nourishment side of things real quick, but I'm a big Weston a price guy. So if some of the, I, if you're familiar with it, it it's, he was a, a dentist in, I, I think he lived from like 1860 to 1940, somewhere in that era. And he's a dentist and he went to, you know, see indigenous tribes and, and native people that had never been introduced to, I guess, what would be considered now like the standard American diet. So like, you know, white foods, like sugars, breads. Um, and what he noticed was that all these people had incredible physical health, but then, you know, um, no tooth decay, totally like just fantastic bone structure, big nostrils. Um, and they didn't get things like tuberculosis, like modern diseases at the time. And what he saw was that if those people were introduced, um, you know, like the, the standard American diet, let's just call it that, um, that they had a pretty quick deterioration of their health. And then their kids had like considerable worse health just from being introduced to those foods. So for me, the biggest thing for nourishment is eating what's like local and seasonal around you in a certain time of the year. So I don't like the advice of, you know, since we're talking about, you know, like geography, the idea of, you know, eating a banana in Minnesota when it's, you know, negative 20 degrees outside in February, like you wouldn't be able to go outside and pick one off a tree and eat it because it's not there. Um, there should be that circadian biology, um, aspect of it that should be driving those decisions. So for me, there's so much, there's no like, okay, nourishment, sleep, movement, diet. Like there's no, there's no like hard stop in between any of those categories because they all blend into each other. So to go back to kind of the light therapy thing that you were talking about, um, or whatever we want to call it, I think that our light environment and our circadian rhythm has to be like, if, if there's one jumping off point for anybody, it, to me, it has to be that pretty much waking up with the sun. Uh, I don't, you know, I don't use an alarm. I get up because the sun starts coming into the window and I'm just awake because that's a cue to my body that it's time to get up and, you know, I'll go outside. I'll get a little bit of time either in the AM sun or just being in that light environment outside. And then, uh, when I do train, whether it's in the morning or it's in the afternoon, I'll always make sure that it's outdoors. So I'm breathing fresh air. I'm outside. And I know that for some people, right. Negative 20 right now in Minnesota, whereas I'm sitting, you know, in my backyard right now in the sun in California, which is why we pay a lot of rent. Um, that's, that's like, that's something that I get to enjoy being here. And, um, it's definitely not something that's lost on me. And then, you know, seeing the sunset and then having that be like the main driver for food choices for being the main driver for, you know, a couple hours after the sun goes down, it's really tough for me to fall for me to stay awake. Like I'm just like a little baby, like my eyes will just close and I'm out. And then all of a sudden some comes up the next morning and I've had all these dreams in the meantime and I'm up. So, sorry, I'm going to adjust my brightness here. So I think, uh, 
yeah. All right, cool. Um, so that's where I'm kind of at with, with everything. So that, that's kind of how everything intertwines. But if I were to say one, if I could go back and really change one thing. And now that I've, now that I can look at it with perspective, my circadian rhythm was always really thrown off, uh, growing up. Like I was, it was always a struggle for me to wake up in the mornings because I'd be going to bed, you know, on like school vacations, I'd be going to bed at like two or three in the morning watching TV. And you know, that was just, you can get away with it a little bit when you're younger, but ultimately I feel like that's why a lot of, you know, I had, I had, you know, stretches in my life that I didn't feel maybe chemically balanced or like emotionally balanced for, for that reason. Like that's such a huge driver, but it's just something that really isn't talked about uh, because it's so much of the reductionist part of here, this food's good. And that's like the only context for it. Like yeah, every food is good or bad if used properly, right? Like, you know, eating a, you know, conventionally raised cow is completely different than, you know, eating a pasture raised cow that lived a happy life. And, um, you know, it's just that there's so much, nothing's binary. It's not just like good or bad. It's not one or zero. It's, it's either, you know, everything's good in, in doses, everything can be poisoned in, in too, too big of a dose. So, um, that's, that's where I'm at with, with all that right now. And a lot of the choices really just are, this like innately driven thing, like something either feels good to me here. And I know what my, my soul and what my being feels like when I'm getting a yes, it's just this, like, it's just this nice feeling where I kind of feel light. And then I know what a no feels like. A no just kind of feels like my whole body kind of like turns inwards and I get this weird pit in my stomach here. And a lot of my decisions are just based off of that. It's like, is my body telling me yes right now? Or is my body telling me no? And you know, it's, you, you get, I guess you get accused of the woo woo part of it, but I, I just, I don't really, I don't feel that like where ultimately I'm going to trust myself over a book or anything that any expert says, right. It just, it comes down to me. It either works or it doesn't. So uh, that's where I'm at. No. And that's a, that's an amazing way to end this before we get into our rapid fire rounds, because I mean, the big thing, the big takeaway there is like listening, but also giving yourself the time to listen. I think that's the big thing is once you get to a point and this was it for me, once I got to the point of where I was listening, these things made, it was, it made so much sense. Um, right. the, 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 the lights like drained my energy and I, I was writing notes of like days. I felt bad days. I felt great. It's like, Oh, it's outdoors the entire time. Like, and once you start to listen and you take notes, everything makes sense. It's, it seems so common sense, but I went back and I was like all 20 years leading up to the point of paying attention. I wasn't paying attention and it was just randomness. You know, it's like some days I felt like shit. Some days I didn't. And I had no connection between it because I wasn't listening. I just wasn't listening. And that's, that's one of the big takeaways I got from just listening. You talk there is like, start to listen, start to listen to what your body's saying and then start to wonder why it's saying that. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent, man. Like, um, well, no, I'll, I'll leave it there. Thank you for saying that. Um, I, I have had a question this whole time and I guess the people just listening to this won't, won't know, but there's an owl behind your head on the logo. Yep. Um, do, do you care to, uh, share the significance of the owl for the O? Yeah. So that was, um, I didn't have a logo when I started training, um, started training athletes and I trained my first like five athletes for free. And they came to me with that logo actually, cause we, we trained at night. Uh, and they wanted to be like the owls. So like they trained when everybody else slept, that was kind of their thing. And they also wanted to do like the wisdom part of it. Like they trained smarter. They, they had the, the wisdom approach, but that was all to me that the, the symbol's super cool because I had no really say in it. They showed up to me one day with like, here's, here's the logo. And it was kind of the, the first building block of everything that we're doing here. 
Yeah, no, I like it, man. I, I got into wood burning a couple of years ago and I say that with a grain of salt cause I haven't wood burned in about two years now, but, um, I did a lot of, uh, you know, like, uh, the geographical ge- geometrical shapes, like animals. Like I, I did, uh, I did a few just for, I don't know. I wanted to kind of tap into a different part of my brain, just kind of zoning out and doing some, it was more stenciling than I'd say, uh, you know, really artistic, uh, behavior, but it was, uh, it was fun. And I like that behind you. I saw it the whole time. And I just wanted to ask you, I would have been, I would have probably texted you later been like, Hey, can you tell me about that owl? And you'd be like, what, what are you talking? So I don't know. I'm glad I got that off my chest. <laughs> I like it. All right. Let's get rapid fire rounds. Um, yeah, I think this has been awesome. I, I'm kind of geeking out about this, but before I keep Thanks, talking, man. uh, rapid fire rounds, first one, and you mentioned one of them already, but, uh, favorite book or books that you think listeners can get a lot out of. And then also in your sense, uh, can dive deeper into some of the things that you've talked about. Yeah. Health and light by John Ott. He's a photobiologist that basically discovered that, um, not just plants, but also animals had responses to light coming through the eye, uh, or coming onto the, or onto the skin too. So that's one. It raises a lot of questions too. I think it was written in the sixties, which is super cool. And it's a lot of questions that, you know, you're like, well, why didn't, if this was such a promising thing, why is this not, why was it not mainstream then? Uh, is it really getting to the source? Uh, it, since it seems like it's getting to the source of so many man-made issues, why is it not something that everybody knows and everybody talks about and that we learn in school? So Health and Light is one. Um, Way of the Superior Man by David Data. Um, that's about masculine feminine energy. So uh, for me, uh, I didn't really have any you know, functional relationships with, uh, as far as like dating was concerned. Um, because a lot of my own limiting beliefs in my own head until I was 29 and I met my fiance and we have a really, really healthy relationship where we, you know, we talk about anything that's, that's happening and we're able to actually lean into each other's moods. And, um, you know, I, I understand her, her feminine side and she understands my masculine side and we just, we are a great pair together. And that's why, you know, I'm going to spend the rest of my life with her and start a family with her, which is awesome. But I feel like if I hadn't read, if I hadn't read this book, I wouldn't have been able to, you know, understand myself and like the masculine core of me and then be able to understand those energies. And then I've shared it with a ton of, you know, men and women. And it's a lot of, uh, a lot of men's, you know, have said, you know, I'll read it. And then I have to just like close it because I realized that that's something I've been doing my entire life. And they're like, I'll just start crying and then I'll go do something else. Or I'll, you know, get feedback from some of the women I've shared it with. And they say that they really understand men a lot better having read it. And I think it's just a, uh, it's just another one of those things that we're just not taught. Like, unless you, unless you have a incredible model of it, um, that you grow up with, or if you see, you don't really, a lot of people just aren't equipped with that. So for me, having a, a stable relationship right now, somebody who supports me and, you know, supports, um, what I feel like my true core and life purpose is, and to be able to support her on, on her path is, I mean, you can't really put a price on it at all. So way the superior man is another one. Yeah. And then man's search for meaning, which I kind of mentioned too, by Victor Frankl. Um, I read that I, I lived in Europe for a bit and I, um, you know, I went on some, some tours at some, some concentration camps and I, I studied a lot of like world war two and a lot of the, the ideology that led up to that. And then also wanted to, you know, firsthand kind of see what, what those experiences were like and reading man's search for meaning really 
ties it together. It's written, um, written by a psychiatrist or psychologist. One of the two, I always confuse the two. He, um, he lived through one of the concentration camps that 19 out of 20 people died in there. And he was able to actually see, you know, the people that survived were people that had a strong conviction to keep going. And his whole thing was he wanted to, he wanted to get out. Sorry, it's a truck going by. He wanted to get out at the end of the war, find his family and then publish his manuscript or his book. And the reason why he was able to live and everybody had different individual circumstances, but the reason why he was able to live is because that kept him going. Like that was such a big purpose for him that he was like, nothing's going to get in my way. And then, you know, also reading it, you, you see his incredible sense of humor while he's in such a, you know, such, such a situation that I feel like part of me takes that too. like, it's always like a, Hey, it could always be worse type of mentality, you know? Um, so those are the three, I would say are, strong recommendations I give to, to anybody. Boom. I like it. Next guest. Sorry, uh, sorry if that was supposed to be rapid fire too. No, uh, no, that was, that was solid. That's, this that's, next one will be rapid fire. Yeah. <laughs> All right. This is an easy one too. Maybe I don't know about easy. I shouldn't say that. I uh, shouldn't bias you, but who's the guest that you think we should have on this podcast that can kind of take us down some of these rabbit holes. Is there anybody that you got? Yeah. It's funny because I don't know his last name. I know like the abbreviation of his last name. So Matt Manx, his Instagram is at circadian man. I'll connect to you guys. He's, he's awesome. He, um, he was a strength coach at Syracuse and now he's finishing up massage therapy school. And I, um, yeah, he's all about circadian rhythm. I think I've found him on Instagram because I saw his name. He commented on something. It was just circadian man. And I was like, Oh, I, I love circadian rhythm, circadian biology, red light, all this stuff. And I clicked on his page and one of his story highlights was, um, like a do-it-yourself sauna that he built in his backyard. I think he's like upstate New York. And he, um, it just looked awesome. So I messaged him and I was like, Hey man, like I, I want to build a sauna at some point. And he's also got, you know, a van that he built out that, you know, that, that, uh, he and his, I think it's his fiance that they live in or sorry, that, that they do live in that they'll, they'll travel and, and stay in it. He just seemed like a cool dude. And I just slid into his DMS, I guess, but we've had these like incredible conversations so far. He's on the weekly calls that I, that I do. And, uh, his insight is just, you know, incredible. So, and, and he's one of those people right now that, you know, when you talk to somebody here, like, man, like I, I had it with Tommy, I was just like, this guy is going to blow up at some point. Like er everything about him is just, just awesome. Like what he says is so true. And, um, the way he lives his life is so congruent that I felt that about Tommy, you know, the first time I met him in 2011. And then now he's doing his thing and I'm proud of him, but he also hasn't changed at all. He's just saying something like his tone has changed a little, a little bit, but barely anything at all. No, I take that back. He's completely the same person that he was 10 years ago. And I feel like Matt is one of those people too. It's like, you know, he's just gonna, whatever he does, he's going to be really good at. And he adds to every conversation and every, everything that he's in. And it, it's another one of these, you know, just found him on Instagram. So, uh, pretty cool. Yeah. So Matt Banks, I'll, I'll connect to you guys. Awesome. Yeah. That, that, I mean, yeah. even the, just the, the username or the handle itself. Yeah. I feel like got me. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Uh, and then the last question of the podcast, we've almost made it all the way through. Uh, and I think that this is going to be a good one with you. You, you mentioned having a bigger purpose, uh, having, yeah. having something to kind of go forward. You've mentioned it multiple times throughout the podcast when all of this is over, uh, when you're on a deathbed or when you're about to leave this earth, what do you want your legacy to be through all of this? I don't know. I feel like I'm a third of the way there right now. So I feel like I'll be a functioning happy, healthy, 96 year old at some point in my life. Um, I don't know. I, when I think of like legacy, it, it, 
it, you always kind of want to have your life sort of, I feel like I still have to kind of land the plane to like where I'm going to be and like lay some roots down before I can really, well, no, that, that's a cop-out answer. I, I want people to know that, you know, I told at least my truth, right? Cause who knows what the truth really is. But I, you know, in this past year, I've really been able to step into a place where, um, you know, people just kind of know what they're getting with me. And I, I don't, I don't hold things back and I do kind of like to step into the uncomfortable and I, you know, I, I, I try not to, you know, obviously ruin parties, but like to be able to, to be able to show up and to just maybe say what everybody's thinking, but nobody's going to say is, is one thing that I feel like tactfully I've been able to, to start to do. And yeah, people know what they're going to get because I'm, I'm always just going to, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm just going to tell what my truth is. And it, it all, it all starts to stem back from the belief that, you know, we're designed to heal and be healthy and well internally from, from within and that we don't need other interventions or, or other things to dictate or influence what that is for us. Um, it's all from within. So that's, you know, that's my truth, right? Being able to live that and to, to do it authentically and to not feel like I have those, that like that cleavage in my personality of like, this is who I am, but then this is what I do. Like, I want it to be that, that like connected, um, integrated life that I'm living. So that's, that's the legacy I want to live behind that, you know, told my truth. That's freaking awesome. Uh, yeah, we did, we Thanks. did it. We made it all the way through. Thanks for being on. Yeah, that was great. I really appreciate you having me on, man. Um, and then I'll connect you with Matt and let's say I would connect you with Tommy, but you already, <laughs> we you already got him. Yeah. So thank cool. you guys for listening. Keep chopping wood. Thank you for listening. Join us next week as we dive down another rabbit hole. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a five-star rating. Follow us on Instagram at Austin Yoakum to stay updated on future podcast guests. Keep chopping wood.